be seated. You may be seated. Well, tonight we're going to start a study in, uh, in the book of Galatians. This is one of the letters that Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia. Um, and, and, and you need, in order to understand, if you look at a map, this probably will be what we will consider modern-day Turkey. And Turkey is a pretty large country. So during this time, there was a lot of Roman provinces in that part of the world. And Galatia was one of them. And there were several cities that made up this whole province of Galatia. And, uh, and Paul, on his missionary journey, had been, you know, traveling there. And now the result of that, you know, he shared the gospel with them and they started to believe in Jesus Christ. But then along came some teachers who, you know, tried to get them to revert back to Judaism or to uh, make them believe that in order to receive Christianity, you had to come through Judaism first. So you had to follow the law, get circumcised, the ceremonies, the rituals, the traditions. And so because Paul um, had made it known that that wasn't one of the things that he was doing, requiring the Gentiles to be circumcised in order to be saved, some of the uh, Jewish Christians felt like Paul was diluting the gospel. They, he was diluting it to make it more appealing to Gentiles. So he didn't put them through the rigorous things that they had to go through when they was in Judaism. And if you was with us in our study in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15, that may be a good read for some of y'all tonight if you go back and read that. This question about circumcision and Christianity and the law and all that was settled at the council meeting in, in, that took place in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 where they had to go back, defend it, and then the council decided that, hey, you know, Gentiles don't need to be circumcised in order to be saved. But up until that time, this had not occurred. So it was a little bit after this uh, that that occurred because at this time, that narrative was still out there. And because that narrative was out there, people were making false accusations against Paul. And so it was like they was questioning his authority, questioning his apostleship, questioning the call of God that was on his life. And so when we start reading tonight here, those of you who have been with us through other letters that Paul had written, you'll notice that in this letter, he started off a little bit different. Uh, like he kind of got a chip on his shoulder. He don't start off with the usual, this is Paul, a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, grace, peace, and mercy, and all that to you. He kind of started off defending his position tonight. Then he come back and hit him with a salutation. So, and, and I think it's important for you to understand that as we read this, that that's why this letter don't start like any of the other ones when it comes to his opening remarks. And so, under his vindication, he says, verse 1 and 2, he says, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. Then he goes right into it. I was appointed, I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by, the, by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. He says, now, I want to get it straight right off the bat that unlike all the other apostles who was walked with Jesus, who, who spent time with him, I was not called that way. Jesus called me himself after that encounter on Damascus Road, if you remember Acts chapter 9. Then after that encounter, I spent time with him alone when I went to Arabia. He's going to talk about that for three years. He says, now all the other guys, Peter, James, John, and that, the 12, they followed Jesus. During the time that they was doing that, Paul was a Pharisee. He was out persecuting the church. He's going to make that clear here in a minute. 
So instead of being a fan or a friend or a follower of Jesus, he was a persecutor of the way. And so now he's saying that, hey, I did not receive my call. Like, if you're going to charge me for not walking with Jesus, you're right. I didn't receive my call like that. I had a different way that he called me from them. But because he called me a different way, it don't lessen the call on my life, what he called me to do. And so I think some was trying to make him feel inferior to the other apostles. Because even now today, you know, when you talk about the office of apostles, you know, the, the church is divided whether or not that office is still applicable today. Because there are people who today believe that when the first generation of century apostles died, there was no need for any other apostle. Because the, the word of God had been, had been written and, uh, and, they, and no one else walked personally with Jesus. And at that time, the criteria they thought was to, in order to be an apostle, you had to walk with him personally. Well, Paul showed that you didn't have to walk with him personally during his earthly ministry, but he was still called to be apostle. So in simple terms, apostle just means someone that was sent out to carry the message of the gospel. And normally, apostles will start and establish churches, and that's what Paul did. And so you'll see some people today carry that title, title, apostle. And the first thing I will say whenever I hear someone use a title, because a title for anybody can pick up, did, does, do, do they do anything that's similar to the work of an apostle? You know, if they're apostle and they're in a, in, in a church in their living room and they call themselves apostle so-and-so, well, that probably don't fit the narrative of a definition of an apostle. Or you just got a church, but you have not established any other churches anywhere. And so because of that, you know, I don't debate what people want to use as title. That's why I'm not that big in titles, you know, it, it, because sometimes people can have a title, but they don't live in a way to represent the title. And so he was trying to get them to see, he said, oh, even though I did not walk with Jesus, but, it, but I was not appointed by any group of people. In other words, no man had anything to do with my call. See? And, 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 and no human authority. But he says, but Christ himself, and by God the Father who raised him from the dead. He says, now, all the brothers, to all the brothers and sisters here, join me in sending this letter to the churches in Galatia. That word churches, that's plural, because I said earlier that there was more than one church in the region of Galatia. So there were several churches, you know, and, and there were several. And again, in order to get a better appreciation of that, you would have to go back and kind of follow Paul's missionary journey in the book of Acts. If you go back and read the book of Acts and saw where he was going when he traveled to this region, you'll see Iconium, Lithia, and Derby, and several places like that that he stopped and established churches at. So now he's sending a letter that is addressed to multiple churches, but in this one region of Galatia. And so he's just making it clear that he was not inferior to the other guy. I didn't walk with him personally, but man, when you study Paul's life, the New Testament, out of the 27 or so books in the New Testament, 13 or 14 of them were written by Paul, depending on who, you, who people say wrote Hebrews. That's the only one that's in question. All the other letters, everybody pretty much, except for John and 1 Peter and those books like that and, and Jude, most of the other letters in the, in the New Testament were written by Paul, with the exception of the Gospels also. But there's a question about Hebrews. Some say Paul wrote it. Some say the writer, writer was anonymous. Nobody know who wrote it. But most of the, the liter, literary scholars say that 
because it sounds like other writings that he wrote, most people attribute Hebrews to Paul also. So he wrote two-thirds of the books almost in the New Testament. Not two-thirds of the New Testament because a lot of his letters are short compared to the book of Acts, Revelation, and things of that nature. Okay? So he was a key player, and God used him in a mighty way to, to be an, an apostle and, a, and, a, and someone who carried the gospel to Gentiles. Now, when we look at this, and, and he make his case about his calling, we understand that when Paul was not an ignorant man, I mean, he was well-learned, well-educated. He was a scholar in, in, the, in the Jewish religion because he was a Pharisee. So when it comes to just straight-up knowledge of Judaism, he probably knew just as much about Judaism that Peter did, or John did. Because unlike them, he was brought up in the training. Peter and them came from another occupation, and Jesus introduced them into Christianity and religion. They were not religious people when Jesus called them. But Paul was already a Pharisee, and so therefore he was studied in religious law. And so with that being said, now we see that he is being used in another capacity to carry the message to the Gentiles. And that was his primary assignment, was to go to the Gentiles and carry the gospel, and not necessarily back to Jerusalem and share the gospel with Jews who converted to Christianity. And so because of that, that was this little rift that was between him and the original 12 or the ones that walked with, with Jesus. Now also, that was if those of you kind of can follow the narrative, after Judas betrayed Jesus and broke away, Jesus told the disciples to go to, uh, on the day of Pentecost, where they, they went into Jerusalem and to wait in the upper room, and he said for them to wait there and tarry. And then it wasn't but 11, but while they was there, they took it upon themselves. When you read the first chapter in the book of Acts, they chose another apostle to replace Judas. And some believe that he didn't tell them to go there to choose another apostle. He told them to go there and tarry to the Holy Spirit came. But in the meantime, they did that, and that apostle that they cast lots to choose for, uh, to be the 12th apostle, you never hear anything else about him. After they select him in the first chapter of the book of Acts, Matthias, I think that's who it was. You don't hear anything else about it. He didn't write no books, didn't write anything. And even a lot of Jesus' disciples who followed him did not necessarily write books that made it to the Bible. So when, when we look at this, we can see that God is using Paul in a powerful, powerful way, even though he did not walk with Jesus directly when he was in the earth. Okay? So does that make kind of sense to everybody trying to catch up with all that? They give you a lot of history, man, but again... When we went through the book of Acts, we kind of hit all these things and all these letters that he wrote are mentioned, the churches are mentioned in the book of Acts. So he says, now look, verse 3, he says, now he get into his salutation. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. He normally start off like that, but this time that kind of came after he had to make a point that I'm not inferior to everybody else, so now I can invoke God's grace and peace on you. And then he said, Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God the Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All 
Glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Now let's go back. In that little passage there, those of you who understand the gospel, you can almost see the gospel message right there in that little passage of scripture. There's a theme that runs through the New Testament. When you read that, let's go back and look at it slowly. And Jesus gave his life for our he was the sacrifice for sin because the law required in order for sins to be forgiven, blood had to be shed. And so therefore, God changed the system in the new covenant by allowing Jesus to be the sacrifice for our sins. So now that Jesus has done that, no longer do we get rams and goats and bulls and bring them annually and offer up sacrifices for our sin. It was done, done one time for all of us. And so now the reason he did that he says he gave his life for our sin just as our Father God planned it. In other words, this was all a part of God's plan from the beginning. He knew that he was going to use Jesus in that capacity, and he did it in order to rescue. Somebody say rescue. Now, what does rescue mean, Major? Save you from something. Yeah, I mean, you out on a deserted island, you know, or in the middle of an ocean, you want rescue. You know, you want to see a helicopter flying overhead to rescue. And see, that's how you kind of got to look at your life. You was out there floating around in the middle of the ocean. Didn't, couldn't swim. Nobody threw you a lifeline. But God threw you Jesus. And he threw you Jesus so that he can get you out of what you was in and bring you back to the peace for sure. But the problem is, when he throws us that lifeline, we want to hold his line and hold the line to the ocean too. Because we kind of like those. You know, let, let's be real for a moment. I know this Bible study, but I like to be practical, you know, just as much as I try to get deep in here spiritually. Now, how many of you, when you was really, y'all, some of y'all too young, but when you was really, I'm, I'm saying some of y'all too young, but y'all, I mean, y'all don't have a, a long resume yet, I'm assuming. I'm giving y'all the benefit of the doubt. That's a good comment now. I'm getting the benefit of the doubt. But you know, when we were really entrenched in the things that we did in the world, most of us, even though we look back at it and say, man, we could have did some things better, we didn't see it as being rescued from some evil. This ain't, I don't need no rescue operation. Because of what I'm doing, I enjoy. It ain't torture. It ain't torment. I'm not about to die. It was fun. I like doing it. But I was ignorant. I didn't know that Jesus had already died to rescue me from myself. And that's what people need to know. When, when God called us and he placed in our heart to, to accept Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, you got to see that he's rescuing me from something. I may not understand what right now, and some people do understand it, but you got to see it as a rescue operation. Because if you don't see it as a rescue operation, then you would think that there's no need for you to change. So you just go on doing what you was doing before the lifeline got thrown to you. But anybody that he rescued, he want to transform. He, he wants, and, and I know it's hard to get people to understand that change is necessary. You can't be the same person that you were before Jesus with Jesus. I mean, if that was the case, he could let Paul continue to do what we're going to see in a minute, what he was doing. He could say, man, just go ahead and continue killing folks, putting them in jail, doing whatever you're doing to them. Continue to be Paul. Continue to be Saul. You know, Live like you was living before you met me. But that encounter changed his life. And I submit to you that if you've had that encounter, it has to change your life. I mean, just ain't no way around it. We can resist it. We can fight it. 
But if we stick with God long enough and his word long enough and let it deal with our hearts and minds, eventually something is going to break through to where you're going to say, okay, maybe I can't grasp the whole depth of the Bible yet, but man, some of the things the Bible says does make sense. It just makes sense. Maybe my life will be better if I just try to God's way instead of my way. And so what we got to see here is that, hey, look, he, he rescued us from this evil world. In the world, whether we believe it or not, it can be good because there's a lot of good things that happen in the world, but you got to understand who's in control of this world. See, we live in a world where the dominant figure that controls behind the scenes is Satan. He is the prince and power of the air. He is the ruler of this world. And so therefore, knowing that, we got to see in a lot of things that happen in this world, in some way, he's behind it, if it's evil. He's behind it. And just like God works through people, the devil works through people. He can influence people and persuade people and pull people away from the truth that they know. Now look at this. When we get here, we say, now, he says, God rescued us from this evil world in which we live. Now, again, you got a good job, you're in the military, you know, you don't have to deploy too much, you ain't in a war zone, you know. You may think, well, they eat. I, I get paid every two weeks. I got some good friends. So it may come down to what do you consider evil in this world? You know, you may look at one thing, and I may say, man, that's evil. You may look at that and say, oh, I don't see it like that. And so what I'm trying to get you to see here is that if the Bible say that there's evil in the world, you need to believe the Bible. Whether, whether you think of that, you need to believe the Bible because God knows what he's talking about when it comes to the world. And see, once we start to discerning things in this world because of the relationship we have with God and our spirit, then we will be able to discern evil things that is happening right around us. Because the warfare that we fight is spiritual. And, and a lot of times when we don't understand how this world operates and how the devil operates, then therefore we can be deceived even though we come to church. And so it's important for us that when we come to church, we want to try to get an understanding of God's word so that we can recognize the enemy's mode of operation. Because once you understand, how many of y'all, y'all heard that M-O term, M-O? That's a law enforcement term when they're trying to catch, catch a criminal. Because most criminals have a certain mode of operation. If someone is a cat burglar, a thief, he got to go buy certain equipment to do what he do. And then he's going to have a pattern of the type of establishment that he hit. And so what they do is try to figure out what is this guy's mode of operation because if we can figure out his mode of operation, hey man, this hardware shop just sold all this stuff over here. That's the type of tools that a cat burglar needs. Who bought that? Who bought all those tools? Who bought all that type of stuff? Then okay, we're going to put surveillance on him for a little bit. Now he may be legit, but just in case, since there is a burglar out there, we're going to follow who's been buying this type of stuff. And so what we're trying, I'm trying to get you to see is that just like they understand that about criminals, you got to understand that about the devil. you got to know that, hey, that's how he operates. If someone lying, that's one of his MOs. Jesus said he's the liar and the father of lies. So if someone lying to you and say that, oh, I'm following God's spirit, they, they are not. They are being influenced by the 
So, so when you understand the enemy's way of operating, the way he do things, and you understand the strategies that he used, then it better prepare you to defend him, defend yourself against him. And see, a lot of time, because we don't know how to defend ourselves against the enemy, we're easily pulled away. And that's what's going to happen here. Now, look at this. When we get to verse 6, after he gives them all the salutations, then he come at them real hard. He says, now look, I am shocked. Somebody say shocked, Major. You know, that'll be like Pastor Bowden. Y'all let me do this. You know, some of y'all, I look at y'all faces. You know, y'all come to Bible study every week. And you know, certain y'all got a certain MO now. Because I don't start surveying the audience and on certain Wednesday night. After I see you three or four times, I'm looking for you. You know, if it ain't, ain't, you know, ain't another COVID outbreak or something like that, and you ain't out of town doing stuff, you, I'm looking for you. It would be like me coming in here saying, I am shocked that Finley ain't here. Man, he was coming regularly. He was in, Jesse, I ain't seen Jesse in a month and a half. I'm shocked. Because Jesse hit the ground running. He was here on Wednesday. You know, da, 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 da. Then all of a sudden I look up, where is Jesse? Where is Finley? And that's what he's saying here. Man, I'm shocked that you are turning away so soon from God. Man, it didn't take long. They didn't give Jesus a good six months. Came to church for three weeks in a row. Then skipped two. Came back for one. Then started coming once a month. And then, bam, don't see him no more. I am. I'm just shocked. But guess what? That's how some people get pulled away. And, And sometimes when people get pulled away, It's for various reasons, and I think sometimes we look at this when he says, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God. Anytime you turn away from something, you got to turn to something. So normally when we stop coming or stop fellowshipping, stop doing whatever we've been doing with the Lord, we are turning to do something else in that place. And so he's saying, now look, you turned away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the love and mercy of Christ. He said, man, I'm shocked because y'all don't turn your back on God after all he did for you. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news. And now he made the point, trying to make the point that there's only one good news. Ain't but one gospel. If someone coming to you and telling you some other way and Jesus is not involved in that process, that ain't the gospel. If you don't talk about Jesus being the son of God who came down in the flesh, die for our sins, you know, ascending back to heaven, you know, and now seated at the right hand of the Father. If that gospel don't include Jesus in it somewhere, and if, that, that, if the gospel that you listen to make Jesus seem like he was just an ordinary prophet, yeah, we acknowledge that Jesus was born because there was a lot of people named Jesus but that time, so Jesus, that name was not unique. So that people acknowledge he was born, but the issue is, is that how do you see him in relationship to God? And see, if you don't see him as the son of God and someone can start you to doubt that, then now you could be turned away from something that you said you believe when you got baptized. That's what the world does. And see, and, 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 and that happens to a lot of people. In, in, in a nice way, you know, the church, we call that back slide. 
I was on board. Some came up, and all of a sudden, I put the skates on. Some church, and now I'm just skating backwards. Then sooner or later, I'm at the back door, in the parking lot. They don't even come through the door no more. But guess the good news is this. The Bible says God is married to the backslide. So even though you put your skates on, God still loves you. And he wants you to come back. Paul was just saying, man, I'm disappointed that you guys didn't turn away so, so soon. You know, sometimes in our church, it ain't just unique to striving. Some people will come to church and they hear a good word on Sunday and they get caught up in their feelings. And out of their feelings, they make a decision. Man, I think this is where I want to be. I love it there. They do this, they do that. Feelings. And then a week later, they think about it. What did I do? Now these folks calling me, want to know when I'm coming to orientation. When I'm going to do this. What did I do now? Don't they know that? You know, I, don't, I was caught up in the moment. I didn't know that they thought I was joining and they're going to be putting me on their list. And... See, that's what happens. Y'all, if y'all remember the parable that Jesus taught of the soil and the seed, you know, back in, 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 in the book of Luke, I used the one from Luke. I think this may give us some indication of how people can respond to the word of God. And I'm just going to read the answer to the parable. If you want, you can go back and read all of Luke. It's in several of the, uh, the, uh, the, the gospel books. But uh, Luke just kind of give a quick narrative of it in Luke chapter uh, 8. And I'm just going to read 11 through 15 because this is the answer. Jesus had told him a parable about a farmer who went out and sowed a seed. And then he throw the seed on the ground, and the seed fell in different places. Some were in hard places, some were in soft places. Some, the birds came and got the seed before it could take root. And after he got through teaching all of that, he had to kind of break it down for his disciples so they could understand what the parable meant. So now, in this parable, we'll see that the word of God, which is the seed, will go forth on a Sunday, and that's the potential for this word to fall on four different types of hearts. See? Everybody hear it, but it ain't falling on the same type of heart. And so there are some people who will hear the word, and then they have one spirit toward it. There are another person that will hear it, and then they'll run with it before they even know what they got. They just come haul up here and join strive, and don't even know what they're doing, and bam. And then two weeks later, when something happens, oh, I ain't mean to join that church. Because they, they just get caught up. People can get caught up, you know, and... and I don't want to reveal ministry tips, but preachers know how to talk to people's emotions and feelings. We have been taught what words speak to people's feelings, what words you can use to make people cry, make people feel that they got, you know. I, I don't use that, but if anytime you listen to someone say, you know, I can just feel something here. I feel it. Feel the Lord's moving. I play with those feel words right there. Then you get a response. Then there are other words you can tie to that that will speak to people's feelings. And when you speak to people's feelings, then therefore you can almost get them to do what you want them to do. Now, I would hope people will respond because the Holy Spirit is speaking to them. Not because they have been persuaded and manipulated to do something that they really didn't want to do. But there is a, it's an art to, to speaking to people's feelings. And so what, what we got to see here is that when you come to church, you can't turn your brain off. God wants you to still be thinking for your church. Amen. 
So look what he says here now. And, and I'm in Luke real quick, Luke chapter 8. And I'm just going to read the answer to the parable. He says in verse, 10, uh, verse 11, he says, This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. So anytime you come to church and you hear people say, Hey, I'm planting a seed in your heart. I'm planting a seed. We're talking about, hey, I'm planting the word of God in your heart. And once that word of God gets planted, then there's supposed to be some results of the seed that is planted. And so anytime you come to church on a Sunday and the word go forth, there is an expectation that that word is going to fall somewhere in your life. And depending on how it falls and what it falls on, it's going to determine whether or not it's going to yield a return on the seed that was put in the ground. So it's no different than if I was a farmer and I was trying to grow a cornfield, I can lay corn on this floor all I want. I can come and say, I'm gonna, some of the seeds don't fell here, I'm going to just leave it there water and see if it's going to grow. It ain't going to grow. Because the floor is not conducive for the seed to take root in something. And so some people come to church and their heart is just as hard as this floor. And it don't make no difference what pastors say. How good the choir sings. They, the word just going to hit and sit right down the top of the heart. Ain't going in, no. It's hard. And those people argue with God more than they listen to him. And when that word sit there hard and it don't take root, when you leave here, something's going to just snatch it right out of you before it can take root. And so you just went to the church and they had a drill on Sunday, but the word didn't register in your heart. So look at this, what he said. He said, now look, this is the parable of the seed. In the parable, the meaning is this. The seed is the word. It's God's word. Then he says in verse 12, the seed that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. In other words, sometimes people can come to church with an indifferent spirit. They can take it or leave it. So therefore now when the word comes, it sits on the surface of my heart and not in my heart. And so therefore because my heart is hard, then when I leave here, the devil snatched that because he ain't got to fight. That's an easy take. If you leave here arguing with God's word, you're an easy target for the devil. He's going to snatch everything you're getting out of you before you, it even take root. And that's how some people that come to church. I don't really, I'm just, I'm just indifferent. I can take religion or leave it. But I'm going to go to church because grandmama told me to go on Sunday. But really, I'm just a good word, but when I get out there, bam, it's sitting on the surface. Enemy come, throw something in my life, boom, word gone. Now that ain't y'all. Y'all here on Wednesday night, so y'all can't be in this category. Wednesday night before I give y'all the benefit of the doubt. Because y'all here, y'all studying, so y'all heart got to be open to study. That means you got to be ready to receive something if you want to study Okay, amen? So now, he says, I do. Then he says, the seed that fell, the seed on the rocky soil represent those who hear the word and receive it with joy. Oh, they shouted. They danced in church today. They got it on, man. They, they were happy. The choir was good. Everything was good. They received the word with joy. But since they didn't have deep roots, they believe for a while and then fall away when they face temptation. 
they think because I came to church and got my dance on and I received the word with joy, I can walk out there now and I'm on the devil, I got him. I got him under my feet. No, you don't. The word is not in, in you deep enough because now you're going to find out that when temptation comes, you're going to fall away because there's no root system. That's why we have to study, and that's why we have to meditate. That's why we have to do the thing with God's word, so we can strengthen our root system, so that the deeper the word gets down inside of us, the better off we're going to be when it comes to the attacks of the enemy. Temptation, I preached something about this long time, not longer, last year. Temptation comes to everybody. The sin is not temptation. The devil tempted Jesus, so if temptation was a sin, Jesus was tempted when he was, he was sinned when he got tempted. So the, 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 the temptation in and of itself is what the devil's supposed to do, to tempt you to do wrong. It's only a sin when you do what he's tempting you to do. So he says now, they received it with joy. But when temptation came, you know, they fell away. Then the third one, it says, the seed fell among the thorns. That fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message but all too quickly, this message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And they never, and, and so they never grow into maturity. In other words, the word, the word now is being received, but you got so much worldly stuff in you still. They call them thorns and things that's pulling at you, all those other things. So you bring God's word into your life. But now it's fighting against all that other stuff, all the baggage, all the other things that you're dealing with. And because of that, those things pull you away. Take you a little bit longer because the word does get inside of you for a while. But it loses the battle because we don't study, we don't meditate, we don't do those extra things to fight against all that stuff that we bring. Everybody brings stuff to the kingdom of God. None of us come in this world perfect. All of us come in flawed. And so therefore, as flawed people, we come to God with a lot of stuff. And when the word comes into our lives, it has to deal with all that stuff, the hidden baggage, the hidden hurts, the hidden this, that, and the other, the proclivities and things that we want to do that we was doing before. The word got to fight all that. And as it's trying to fight it, if you don't help it and assist it to receive it with the right way, then those things will crowd out the word. And the, the picture here is like you got a nice rose garden and you don't do something about the weeds and the weeds just come up. You see the roses, man, they look good for season. Then the next year you don't do nothing and then we just choke them. Choke them out. That's like, Finley, I'm going to use your example. That's like we saw Finley for six months. You know, straight, man, boom. Thought he was rolling. Then all of a sudden, stuff, something started choking him. Then we start choking. We look around and say, where's Finley? He done, he done tapped out, man. He done got choked out. That ain't you, Phil. I'm just using you as an object lesson, but that ain't that don't happen to you. Your track record is good. But that's, but, but, but that's what happens. And see, what happens is we don't, when we don't understand that and we don't expect that, we think that because I come to church one time or make a commitment one time, that, that we're going to stick to that commitment. Very few people stick to commitments that they make as a one-off when they go to church the first time, second time, whatever. They, you have to grow into that commitment. So we have to grow into this relationship, and that's why we have to keep allowing the word to come in our hearts but like the last one, he says here in verse 15, the word that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word and they do something different. They cling to it. They grab a hold of this word and say, look here, 
I'm going to hold on this. I ain't going to let the devil snatch this out. I know he's trying to choke it out of me, but look here, I'm going to hold on this word. In the old days, man, before, you know, we stopped doing it, man, people used to take messages, go back and listen to it, because you don't get it the first time. You got to go back and hear something over so you can see what you missed, and therefore you start clinging to that word. And if you cling to that word, then that word will take root in your life, and as you cling to it, the devil can't pull you away from it. And so therefore, we want to be clingers. He said, now they cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. So therefore, the end game is that the result of studying God's word, coming to church, and being ministered to, is that you're supposed to produce fruit in your life because the word is in your heart. That seed is in you, and it's there to produce. And so by you being here tonight, that's a good sign. That's a real good sign. And by you being online, that's a good sign. So Paul was just saying, man, he was surprised that these people, man, who he had spent all that time with, I'm shocked that they turned away so soon. So soon. And that is a hurting feeling. And I can speak from a pastor standpoint. You know, I've seen people that come through striving, man, they were on fire. They looked like they were just on fire for the Lord. On fire. And then all of a sudden you look up one day and they gone. Now, for various reasons, you know, sometimes I tell people, there's a church out there for everybody. And, and sometimes one church may not be the right fit for some people. I ain't got no problem with that. But one thing, I don't care when a person leave here, they're never going to leave here and say they didn't get taught the word. They may say, I didn't like his style, I didn't like his delivery, I didn't like this. But they can't say, he didn't never open the Bible up and teach us nothing about Jesus. I never got an inspiration from the scripture. Well, if you can read, you will. So, so my point is this, is that People are going to find where they want to go. And I don't care where people go to church. I just want them to go. Go somewhere and fellowship somewhere. But at the same time, we got to realize that, hey, if we're not careful, there will be people who will come, and then one day we're going to be shocked because they have turned away so soon. And normally somebody has gotten to them. Some of their old ways, old friends, old this, that, and other. Because there's always a pull on you. And so these people got pulled away, and this thing shocked Paul. So he said, I am shocked that you are turned away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the love and mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news. But it is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. It's a thin line when it comes to preaching God's word straight at people and when you can twist it just a little bit to sway people your way. It's just a matter of taking one word here, one word there, changing the meaning just a little bit. That's why it's important for people to understand context when you read the Bible. What the context was this written in? What is the speaker talking about? Who is he writing it to? What is the time that he wrote this? So that you can understand context, and people can't take every scripture out there just to fit their cause. You can almost cherry-pick the Bible and find a scripture that will justify just about anything you, anything you want to do. If you go through the Old Testament, New Testament, but then you have to put all that in context and then have an understanding, how does God operate? Because when I understand context, I'll see that, that God operates the same way in one place as he does in another place. And when I understand that, then now I can say I've seen this pattern through the Bible, and because I've seen this pattern, then that must be what God is trying to get me to see. I tell people all the time, don't take one scripture 
and run and make a whole doctrine off of one scripture. We've got to study more than just one scripture. Now look at this. So he says that the word can be twisted. And it's always concerning to Christ. You know, I ask this to, to young people again. There's a movement out there now that don't see Jesus like we see Jesus. And they're going to church that say they believe in the good news. But I hear a lot of young people say, well, I ain't sure I'm Christian like Christ. I'm, I'm spiritual. Okay, what that mean? Uh, what that spiritual, okay? There's all kinds of spirits out there. Which one are you? Spiritual, okay, God, I, I believe in spirit. Because the Bible says God is a spirit. So I ain't going to argue with that. But when you say you're spiritual, what that mean? Well, you know, I... I believe that there's a higher source. I believe that there's a source out there, energy source out there somewhere that, yeah, maybe control everything. Okay, so you spiritual, you don't want to call him God. That's okay. We'll call him, you know, your source, whatever that energy source is out there that can do all this stuff that you can do. Okay, got it. I ain't going to argue with you that. You know, you can get on. But now, do that source have a son? Now, I'm going to find out. Do, do the source have a son? Do the source that you say that calls you to be spiritual does he or whoever it is have a son? And is his name Jesus? Because if that source you got that don't have, don't have a son, then you ain't following the same source that I'm following. But when people don't know that, it sounds good. I mean, being spiritualist sounds real good. I mean, I'm, I'm spiritual. Oh, yeah, I got it. The devil is a spirit. All religions believe in spirits. But the, the deal breaker is Jesus. What do you believe about Jesus? And when you're out there, you can have that conversation with the spiritualist and anybody else you want to have, but sooner or later, you got to get down to Jesus. And then when they, you listen to them and they say, well, uh, that Jesus thing, that's, that's uh, a man-made religion. You know, that's kind of man-made you know? You really, that's organized religion. You really don't need no organized religion to be spiritual. You can just go sit up on the tree. Okay, got it. Sit up on the tree. Well, when you pray, who do you pray to? Just tell me. What's the name? You, you got to call on somebody. Who you calling on? So anybody can sound religious to you if you don't know what you believe. And so that's why you come to study so that, hey, when these things start coming around, you don't have to be pulled away so soon because you know the truth and you know the good news. You know the gospel. And the gospel is not hard. The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, his life, his birth, the things that he did for us and what God used him as a sacrifice, that's the gospel too. And it's not that hard. And in almost every message, you're going to get a little bit of that because we try to tie Jesus to everything that we're saying and doing. Even in the Old Testament, when we study that hard enough, we can see the prophets talking about someone that was to come. So there's no, there's no teaching that, hey, we don't do, deal with anything in the Old Testament now. We just don't follow the law. We ain't cutting off hands and plucking out eyes. That ain't what we're doing. We ain't stoning kids because they talk back to their parents. 
We were still under that. Some of us be childless. I mean, we, 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 so if, if someone want to argue with you about that, you say, yeah, yeah, we, we, don't, we don't do that no more. But we don't sacrifice goats and lambs either. So what I'm trying to tell you is that there are times when people get twisted doctrine and it can sound so true if you don't know what's true. Jesse, go ahead. Uh, only question I have is, like, what do you think of people that, like, um, there's some people that they said they use crystals and stuff like that, and they said, oh, we use crystals in conjunction with, with God, and I'm like, it kind of defeat, defeats the purpose of, is God not strong to handle it? You need crystals to, like, add to it. I don't know. What do, what do you guys thoughts on that situation right there? <laughs> you know, I, I've had somebody, and it's hard for me to wrap my mind why. You know, I see crystals like, when people used to believe in their zodiac signs, horoscope, or you believe in any type of thing, no different than, you know, people who thought that there was some magic in horseshoes and rabbit feet. You know, people say they love the Lord, had horseshoes over their doors and had rabbit feet and all that because it, 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 it was steeped in, in, in kind of like, it, I wouldn't call it witchcraft, because some people say, well, these crystals are in the Bible. You can go in there and find onyx. You can find this. You can find all. All of them are in the Bible. There are a lot of things that's in the Bible, but it don't mean that they're supposed to be objects of worship. It depends on, you know, if you're talking about these, I'm going to read these crystals, and they're going to tell me my future, then you might well go and see Miss Rudolph. Or what's her name, too? Let her have your hand. <laughs> read your palm, too. I mean, why stop there? Where are you going to stop at? And then now you look at your hand, oh, that means that, I'm going to be there. Come on. But there are people out there who swear by them. That, hey, when I, when I deal with these crystals, there's a peace that come over. I heard people say, man, I just, this peace that come over me. Okay. If that's what you say is happening to you and that peace coming over you, then enjoy your peace. I ain't going to knock that. If that's giving you peace, but I'm going to say, I don't believe that you need that to get peace. But I'm not going to crucify you about that, but I'm going to still ask you, well, does Jesus fit into the crystal plan? The people who teach you these crystals, are they teaching you something about Jesus? Now, if he's not in the plan, then that's when you may need to say, okay, it requires further investigation. Because like I say, Religion is a broad, broad topic, man. Witchcraft is a religion. It's classified as a religion. So religion is, is any doctrine that you believe and you follow. It can be classified as a religion. But there are a lot of things out there. And I need to read up and get more into that because I had, you're about the third or fourth person to ask me that. And I, you know, I try to tell them, I say, man, I just, I just ain't, I, I ain't, I ain't got that connection yet. And if the Lord give me a revelation and show me that, okay, yeah, all that works, then I guess I'll go get me some bones and throw some bones out there too. I mean, if Christmas work, I can go get me some, some, some dog teeth and throw them out there. I mean, I'm like, I'll stop at Christmas. I mean, just go on to the next day and get you a little bit of everything. I mean, because some people shake up bones. Now, I'm not trying to mock anything, but look here. I am not a believer in voodoo and hoodoo and any of them do. 
Now, I know they exist. I ain't say they don't exist. I just say I don't believe it. And because I don't believe it, I don't have a problem talking about it. I don't fear it. And, and I ain't worried about no dog. Brother Herb, go ahead. The point is, is that um, if you read it in the Old Testament again, when, when God sent Moses to Pharaoh and when Moses went to Pharaoh and he showed, and then uh, Pharaoh had witchcraft, has other guys that had to show that magic. And Moses threw down his rod and his rod ate up the snake. So my point is, the witchcraft is out there. Uh, and, but then you have to like, and you got to know the truth, who God is, so you won't get caught up with other religion of such as witchcraft. And can, they can perform the same thing that uh, Moses had to go against. So Amen. I'm Amen. just saying, it's out there. Amen. Even in the book of Acts. Yes. That's so, so yeah, it's, it's out there. And, and there were people who practiced magical arts. That is an art to it. I'm not saying it's not there. But, but what you got to understand, you got to believe that your source of power is greater than that source of power. And if you believe what you got is greater, then you don't have to go and let somebody throw some bones down to tell you what your future going to hold. And I know it can be tempting sometimes, you know, you just, you know, when they used to have Miss Cleo on the line at night, you know, you ain't got nothing better to do, just dial a 1-800 number and get you a word. I mean, I know some Christians used to do that. Go ahead. What, what would you advise for a young Christian and, you know, new to church and new to Christianity? Where would you, what would you advise them? Where would you tell them to start? Uh, they would say, the Bible is a big old book. Where, where would I start at to get an understanding of, of Christ? You know, I try to point people, first off, to the Gospels. You know, pick one of the Gospels, and primarily maybe one that was written not to the Jews. Matthew was written primarily aimed at the Jews. You know, good Gospels start in, but I kind of like Luke's writing more so than Matthew, because Luke was a little bit more in-depth his words are longer. He'd do a better job explaining a lot of things than, than that. But I would always try to get people to start with the, with, the, uh, with, the, with the gospel. And then for some people, I tell them, do a Proverbs. Like I said a couple weeks ago, do a, go to the book of Proverbs, man, and read the Proverbs. 31 of them, read the Proverbs every day. If you read the Proverbs every day and get it in a Bible that kind of you can understand, because some of the Old Testament uh, Bibles, uh, the, the King James Version, the words don't flow like we talk today. So I would advise people, you know, get a New King James Version of the Bible, New Living Translation uh, Edition 2, the NAS, New American Standard, or uh, Contemporary English Bible, something that, that kind of flows like you can understand and so it don't turn you off when you're trying to read and understand what it's talking about. But the book, that book offers you a lot of wisdom tips, you know, things that one line can give you a whole lot in just one little line. And the good thing about Proverbs is that it's not a, a continuous chapter, like you got to read the whole chapter, because some of those things are standalone verses. That one thought is just that one thought about that particular 
the idea that the writer has, you know. But you got to read, you got to study somewhere. A simple way, too, is we get the daily bread. So I used to tell some people, just get used to reading a pastoral scripture that somebody else kind of meditated on and give you a little short word. So daily bread is a good thing to use every day to just get a little bit in your system and, 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 uh, and let the Lord's Spirit, uh, you know, continue to, 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 to bring you to maturity. But you got to put something in, you know, some kind of way. Brother Herb? Yeah, no, but not only that is that, you know, reading the word, but you also got to go to a, a place where you have to study, to be taught, to be, you know, to teach. I mean, and, and, and an example is for us here at Striving. We, you know, newcomers come in, and, uh, we ask them to come in and be able to start studying. Because there's be some things in the word that doesn't make, will help you. You don't understand some of the things in the word. So you got to get a study. You got to go to a court. They're going to teach you. And if you don't go to a place to be taught um, and, and you're trying to do it on your own, you'll be struggling. So, yes, I, I would say you, you need to go. I know, I know a lot of people will say, um, yes, join, find a church that you can, you know, where it can teach you. And, I, and you have to study. That's what I'm saying. You yeah, have to I, study. Hey, man, I agree with that. Place. I mean, I'm, I'm a big proponent of studying God's word and, and trying to get as deep as we can into it because uh, uh, word meanings change over the years. The language that we use today is not like the language they used back then. And so a word that they used back then in our language, uh, we may have one word and in, the, in the Hebrew language or the Greek language, they may have several words that mean the same thing. So sometimes, say, I use love as an example. You know, normally we use love one way. I love my children. I love my wife. I, you know, I, you know, I <clears throat> make love and all kind of love. Every, every, we use that same word for all those things. When the Greek, they don't use the same word to talk about a relationship with a father and a child. That's a different word for, for love. When they talk about intimate relationship, they use the word eros. You know, when they talk about friends, if I say, hey, man, I love Major. Well, I ain't talking about I love him like I love my wife. So the word that they would use in, in, the, in the Greek would be philio which will let me know I'm talking about Major as my friend, but in English, I'm going to say, I love Major, I love my children, I love my job, I love. We use the same word, but we use it in a lot of different ways, but they got four different words that they use to define love. And so if you don't know that and you're reading the Bible and you say, you know, somebody loved their children, then we're, they're going to use storge love, that parental love that a parent will have for a child. Eros love, the sensual love. And then agape love is one we always know in here, and we equate every love in the Bible to that. It's talking about that unconditional love. And so that's, that's where study comes in to help out when you want to get a little deeper in areas like that to get a good, clear understanding of how this Bible is translated. And, and, and so that you can, when you rightly divide it, you'll be speaking from a good place, and you can stand on the things that, that you believe. Because it, like, the, like he says here, and I'm going to read on so we can finish. He says, man, people deliberately twist this Bible. I mean, people can twist it and, and use it. I mean, that's how a guy like Jim Jones, how do you take educated folk down to Guyana and get them all to take poison? You had to twist something. When people turn their brain off to that degree and feel like that they got to take their lives 
to glorify God. Man, y'all been taught too much. That, that dog went hunting here. I came here one night, said I done got a revelation from heaven, and Jesus come back next week, and I got the portion up here, and I want all y'all to just take a sip with me, and let's go and meet him before he get here. You know, some of y'all say, now, Pastor done lost his mind. He done lost his mind. <laughs> Jesus better come back and say something to me. But just like you would say that, there are some people out there who are so gullible, they follow him down there. And so people have been twisting. David correct. Them folk follow him to Waco. Twisted words. Saw him as a Christ. Bowed at his feet. Went in, wanted to be part of his harem of women and all that. And then when the FBI came and said, y'all need to get out of here, some of them folks stayed in there and died with him. I mean, so there have been people that have come along, that have come along and deceived people by twisting this word and you think we laughing, but man, people have been, been put in position where it cost them a lie because they didn't know the truth. So in all I get it, man, you got to get an understanding of God's word, man, and you got to always seek the truth because people will twist it. He said, now look, then Paul get really hard. He said, now man, if anybody come in and, and, and teach you this stuff and they ain't telling the truth, man, Kurt, he, he pulled out a curse from heaven on him. He said, let God curse all, let, let God curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. So if anybody come in here and start talking to you about something other than the gospel and Jesus Christ being the Son of God, look here, man, I, I, I'm pulling down a curse on them. Even if it's an angel out here perpetrating that he got a new revelation for you, you don't saw the angel telling you that Jesus wasn't the Son of God? Paul said, that's a curse. If there's a man or woman standing up here and don't acknowledge who Jesus is, and Paul said, man, look here, he want them people cursed because they're not representing the truth of the God. That's just how serious he was. Now, again, why is he saying all this like this? Because he's trying to defend himself to those people who said he was not a true apostle. So he said, now, look, I'm calling down a curse on myself if I ain't the real deal. If I didn't really hear from the Lord, then I, won't, I even want my own life to be cursed. He said, now verse 9, he said, I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcome, let that person be cursed. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If, I, if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. He said, look, if I just wanted to go about pleasing people, all I had to do is fall back on my pedigree. I mean, I was a Hebrew's Hebrew, a Jew's Jew. I'm out of the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I mean, my, both of my parents are Jews. I ain't no half-breed. I'm all Jew. You know what I mean? So if I, if I just wanted to fall back on who I am, hey, look here. If that's what I wanted, I didn't have to put, put myself in this predicament. I gave up all of that because I wanted Jesus. I walked away from all that. He, he tell him here in a few minutes, man, I was a fast burner in the system. I was lightening up as a pharaoh. I was way ahead of my contemporaries. You know, some of y'all in the military, y'all fast burners. You know, as some people, you know, you know a fast burner, you know. They done got all four stripes in three years or four years, you know, and then they tech sergeant in six, seven years, and boom, fast burner. You know, when you're a fast burner, you get some enemies. Amen. 
And, and, and ain't nothing wrong, you know, with being a fast burner. If you put in the work, you ought to burn fast. Finley, you're a fast burner. And there's going to be somebody sitting out there saying, how this little whippersnapper? That dude ain't even hit his 30th birthday yet. And he already GS-13. I've been in the system for 15 years. And he walk around. He's a fast. So Finley said, man, look here. I put in the work. While well, everybody else would do what they normally do, I was putting in the. And so Paul said, man, when it came to Judaism, man, I was a fast burner. I was zealous about that thing. I defended it with everything that was in me because I really believed it until I met Jesus. Once I met Jesus, it changed my whole life. He says, now look. He says, dear brothers and sisters, I'm in verse 11. I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source. And no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. He says, the Lord himself came down and ministered to me. So I didn't have to go back to Jerusalem and talk to Peter and James and John and all that. No. Jesus met me on Damascus Road. Then I went over to Arabia for three years, and we had some time together. Just like John was on the island of Patmos when he wrote Revelation, I was in Arabia when Jesus was talking to me. And he said, and that's enough to prove that I'm showing you that even though some people come in and declare that I'm not teaching right, that I'm being soft on you all because I won't cause you to get circumcised like everybody else wants you to be circumcised, now they're going to attack my credibility. And I got to let them know, hey, you know, this is how I got here. You know, so Finn, I'll use you again. Someday you're going to have to defend to some folks how you got here. How you get here so quick. Well, let me, let me tell you. While other folks were doing this, this, and this, I was doing this. When everybody else was trying not to go somewhere, I was going TDY. When everybody was running away from assignment, I was taking them. When everybody didn't want to solve the problem, I became the problem solver. And people pay you to solve their, solve their problem. So now look, he says, so he said, I didn't receive this message from any human source. Direct revelation. Met me on Damascus Road, then took me over to Arabia. He said, now verse 13, you know what I was like. Now he's talking about this, when I followed the Jewish religion. You know, how... I violently persecuted God's church. And you know, I don't have time to go through it, but I'm going to give you just some, some little tidbits of here. When you read in Acts chapter 8, the Bible says Paul made, at that time, Saul made havoc of the church. He was entering folks' houses and snatching them out to persecute them. In chapter 9, he was breathing threats and murder against the Lord's disciples. Chapter 22, he said, I persecuted the way, and the way then went, was what they called Christians. Before they was called Christian, they was called people of the way. That's why you see some churches around here that are called the church of the way. But later on in Antioch, they was called Christians. He said, look, man, I persecuted to death those other way. And I punished them often in every synagogue I went to. So he said, man, I was notorious. I was really serious about what I believed when I was in the Jewish religion. And all he's saying is now is that I took that same fire, that same zeal, and now I just use it
for another master. And that's why I tell people a lot of times, the fire and the energy that you got when you're out in the world, that same fire and energy will work in the house. You're just working for another master now. Don't lose your fire. Don't lose your zeal. Don't lose your desire to do things great just because you done got saved. Just say, hey, I got a new master now. And some of the skill set that I got, that I had before I came to the kingdom of God, those same skill sets will work in the kingdom. And I can use them to glorify him. So a lot of times people think that when I get saved, I have to do a complete re- remake or redo or re-over, makeover, whatever it is. No, you don't. You just need to change masters. Change masters. If you was a technic- techie guy, you'd just be techie for Jesus. You ain't got to turn off your technological side of your brain. Just use it for the Lord. Man, if you like out there, if you a social media junkie, then don't get saved. Well, you know, I guess, no, no, no. You ain't got to give it up. Just change the content. Keep on running. Just change the content. And people say, something happened to him. Man, I done went back and looked at some of his old writings, some of his old posts, and I'm looking at this new stuff. Don't sound like I'm dealing with the same person. They still online just as much, but their content is changing. So it ain't hard. But he was saying, man, I persecuted them, and I tried to destroy them. I did my best. I didn't just try, Major. I did my best to destroy them. And then this is what he said. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the tradition of my ancestors. Man, I outran them guys. I was more zealous than they were. You know, I was on my way to being a high priest. I wasn't going to just be a Pharisee. I was going to be the Pharisee. But I met Jesus. And when I met him, my focus changed off of doing that to following him. I gave up all of that for him. And sometimes you have to give up some of your pursuits to pursue the Lord. You do. But that's a choice you got to make. If, if he's calling you to give up some of your pursuit and you're going to pursue him, that's something you got to, a choice you got to make. But no matter what you give up, you got to change something. Amen. Now look at this. He says, but even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. He said, look here, man, like, almost like Jeremiah when I was in the mother's womb. Before I came out, God already knew. I didn't know it, but God knew. And see, that's what you got to say. There are a lot of things that we look at and think this is something new, but we got to say, hey, man, God already knew. And so Paul said, even before I was born, God knew what he was going to do. And all I had to do is come to my senses, and when I had that encounter with him, then now I just walk in, in a newness of life after that encounter. So, I don't want to get too deep in trying to talk about the doctrine of predestination and all that, but I'll say it like this. You may not know, have known you were going to be here on a Wednesday night 10 years ago, but God did. And so now you just walk it into destiny. It was already set. You just walked into what was already 
And that's what life is all about. Sometimes when you walk into things by faith, you're walking into something that God already has put in there for you. But if you don't have the faith to walk into it, you will never get it. So don't worry about that. Just say, from God's point of view, he knew you was coming. Your friends didn't know, your family didn't know, but now that you're here, you ought to be glad that God brought you here and he already knew you were going to be here. And because of that, I, now I'm not going to waste this moment. I'm not going to waste this relationship because I believe God has something for me even before I was born. He said, then when it pleased him, not me, to reveal his son to me, I'm in verse 16, so that I will proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles, when this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being. I didn't run to Jerusalem looking for Peter. I didn't run nowhere. I, I just needed to stay in contact with Jesus. You know, and that, that made me wonder, you know, like for us at now in ministry, people say, well, do God call preachers like that today? Do you know, you just, just preachers all have Damascus Road experiences and get knocked off a donkey and some of that? I, I, I don't think God called everybody the same way like that. I know I, when I first got saved, got called to ministry, so I hear preachers say, well, you know, I was walking through a field, clouds opened up, and, you know, I saw a light, and I said, okay, I got it. That ain't how it happened to me. I mean, I, I didn't get no, I wasn't walking across no field, and the sky opened up, and I saw this bright light, and said, hey, you've been called to preach. You know what? For me, I got a, a burning in my heart to teach God's word, but I wouldn't step up and do it. But I used to see others do it because I was an instructor in my career field. I was a technical instructor. In my so I learned how to teach good. And I learned how to write lesson plans, do all that technical stuff. I didn't know God was preparing me for this when I was doing that. So when I had the desire to teach Bible study and teach that, I became a critic of preachers. Because I studied and I could tell when they didn't study, and they just up there filibustering. So I'm saying, man, that dude, that, that ain't what that scripture talking about. These folks saying amen, they don't even know what that scripture means. Because I studied. But I'll never forget it. One night I was at home laying in the bed and said, you know what? If you think you can do it better, then you ought to get up there and do it. And I said, no, Lord, I ain't. I'm a football coach. That's what I want to do. When I retire, I'm going to coach football. I'm going back to Alabama and, and coach football. But I kept hearing that. If you think you can do it better, get up there and do it. And one day I just stopped fighting that, and I went to the chaplain and said, hey, man, I believe the Lord is calling me to preach. Now, he said, I saw it in you all the time, but he never told me. Now, I don't know what he saw in me. Maybe he saw the way I taught Bible study or whatever. He saw that the next step was a progression. I didn't see that. It was only when I started critiquing others that the Lord spoke to me and said, you ought to do it if you think you can do it better. And after that, I walked in, and next thing I know, he told me, go take a text, and next Sunday night, a month from now, you got it. What? What you going to teach me? What I got to If you've been called, he'll give you something. That's how I was learned. So I had to study a whole month to find a scripture, man. And because I was a teacher, I was lousy the first time. They didn't tell me that, but I was just lousy. I was lousy not because of the technical data that I had researched. I was good at that. I just tried to tell them everything I knew in 30 minutes. And it took me an hour and a half. 
And I look back and I say, man, I can't believe they came up to me after that sermon and say, oh, that was so good. The Lord used you and all that. That's it. They were just being nice to me. <laughs> they were just being nice. Right now, they, I, I look at that and say, but I'm glad I didn't run away from the call. And so that's what Paul was trying to get these guys to see. Say, hey, man, he had a call in his life, and he was serious about it, and he didn't get called by any human means. Now, there are some people that see ministry as a profession. They go to school for one thing, and then while they're in college, they decide, hey, I want to study theology. And as a result of studying theology, then they go on to the next step as a progression. Do I want to be a youth pastor, this type of pastor? Do I want to pastor the church? Or do I just want to be an administrator in the church? So that's how some people do. And some people, maybe it's called, some people come from a line of preachers. Daddy was a preacher, granddaddy was a preacher, so it's a, an obvious thing that, hey, you're probably going to be a preacher too. So they start feeding that in your head as a little boy, hey, your daddy was a preacher, your granddaddy was a preacher, then you got the same gift. And if they, he hang around them long enough, he's going to probably operate in that gift. Go ahead on, Brother Herb. You said it twice already, saying that every, every person that uh, has, has a gift, and, and you have to, in order to, to, uh, to know your gift, you know, God was, will show you your gift. The, the, the more you stay with, you know, the more you contact God, the more you stay connected with God, he will show you your gift. And with that gift, then, then it will give you uh, how to use your gift, where you need to use your gift. And that's, that's what I'm saying, to a point where uh, a gift is, is, is a teacher. You know, that's a gift, a teaching. And I'm just saying that every, every person in the womb that comes has the opportunity, has a gift. Amen. And you just got to know how God will call it out to you. And Amen. like you said, it can, everybody's different when God will, when you, when you uh, be shown what your gift is. Amen. That's what I'm saying. How it's going to come to you. Really, I mean, and, and again, and that's why I was trying to say my point yeah. was, is that when I was a tech school instructor teaching and learning how to write lesson plans and all that stuff and, and dissect words and stems the questions and all that, I never knew that I was going to come into ministry, play in ministry. I thought I was doing all that to be a coach, because coaching is teaching. And so therefore, when I was coaching football over in Europe, I thought that when I retired, that's what I'm going to do. Coaching is it. Coaching is it. But then when I got here, my passion changed from coaching to doing what I'm doing now. And so I see that God took those same skill sets and said, now you can take that same mindset that you use for coaching and you can use that to do what you can do right here. So you ain't got to go and learn something new. You can just do the same thing. Dealing with people. On a football team, you got 55 players with 55 different personalities. In the church, you got however many people with that many personalities. Some want to play together, some don't. Some want to be the superstar, some don't. It's just like a, a big team. And so what I'm trying to say, God has given a gift for you, like Brother Herbert said. You got to walk in it. You got to determine that you're going to trust God enough to step out in what, he's, what you're feeling like he's gifted you to do. And sometimes people can speak it into your life. I've, I've stayed away from that. I never want to walk up to a person and say, I believe God is calling you to preach. Because then once I do that and they walk out on my word, and they don't, hadn't heard from God, then if they don't 
succeeded that, then they're going to look back and say, well, pastor called me. That's why I try to, I encourage people, if you got a desire and a hunger, you know, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will be filled. But I'm not going to say, hey, I think you need to, you need to preach. I'm going to let you tell me. You know, but I've been in churches where pastors did that. They'd walk up to people and tell them that, and people walked in that, and it worked out perfect. But it just depends. Go ahead, Brother Major, then her. Just a question. So, Pastor, if a, if a preacher's been called, and I know things happen, what would cause them to walk away from what they've believed? If, if God called you to, to preach or be in ministry, what, and, and again, I, you know, things happen, it, life happens, but what will cause you to walk away from everything you thought God called you to do and everything that you believe now, you don't, you don't believe it anymore? That, that's tough, Major, you know, because a lot of time men, uh, women too, get influenced by other things that come in their life, life change, and all of a sudden now they have different desires, different passions. At one time, there was a lot of preachers saying that, like the world, hey, I just burn out, man. I just got burned out. I've never been a proponent of burning out. You get tired. Jesus got tired and he got weary. He went and got some rest. But he didn't just flame out and say, I don't think I can do this anymore. But men and women walk away from the gospel for various reasons. I mean, sometimes the pressure, the stress. It ain't easy dealing with a lot of folks. You know, some people say, man, hey, look, I'd just rather take that time now and do something write books now instead of try to do a pulpit ministry. But, but I guess my question, the truth doesn't change. So what, what was it that said, okay, I don't believe this anymore? The, the truth doesn't change. I mean, it's still the truth whether you walk away from it or not. It, it's, it's still the truth. And how, how, can you, how can you wrap your mind around and say, well, I, I don't believe this truth anymore? Go ahead, Brother Herman. I, he just answered. When you when you get to a point where it's it'd be your unbelief. You don't believe it no more. It just be your unbelief. You don't believe it. If you believe it, you stay with it. I mean, just no no more than what God would say to like for Israel. How many times they was with God and they turned away from God. And God said, hey, I can't, I can't be with you because I can't do nothing with you because your unbelief. No. And, and, I, and I've read some, some of the stories of powerful guys who done, you know, these are educated guys. And they, and they, if you're not sure what you believe, they have gone through and dissected the Bible. I mean, with that education. I mean, guys who done study Hebrew and Greek and all that and say, hey, this is that, this is a fallacy here. You can't that, you can't believe that, that. And if you don't know, then now you'll be confused. That's why I tuned them guys out. For whatever reason, they got upset with God about something, and they walked away from it, and now they're trying to tear it down instead of just walking away from it and leave it alone. You know, and so. Tom went. <laughs> okay, let me just go ahead and finish reading this until we can let you out of here. He says, he says in verse 7, Nor did I go to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before me, uh, before I was. Instead, I went away to Arabia, and later I returned to Damascus. Three, then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter. And he didn't go there to get taught by Peter, because he knew just as much as Peter when it comes to the law. He says, 
And I stayed with him for 15 days just to kind of introduce myself, get acquainted with him. When you read the whole New Testament, you find out that Paul and Peter had their run-ins with each other, you know. But eventually they got back together, made up, and, you know, and, uh, and, and it was on the same sheet of music. But they had their issues. He says, the only other apostle I met at that time was James, and that was the Lord's brother. So Jesus' brother, you can find out, I think in Matthew he records some of Jesus' relatives. Some people say it was a close relative. Some say it was his brother, but here it identify him as, as James, the brother of Jesus. And the reason they had to classify it as James, the brother of Jesus, because there were several James that was there. There was James, the son of Zebedee, and there, and, uh, there was James that when Jesus called the disciples, one of them was a James. So about three different James running around with that group. So they had to single him out specifically who they're talking about. He says, before, now then verse 20 says, I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. He says, after that, I went north to the province of Syria, where, is where Antioch is, and, and Sicilia, which is Tarsus, which was his hometown. And still, the Christians in the churches in Judea didn't know me personally. See, I was doing all that with people in Jerusalem and Judea because I didn't spend a lot of time there with them. They didn't know me personally. All they knew is what they had heard. And then he says, all they knew is what people were saying. The one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. That's all they've been saying. Hey, man, that dude that used to kill us, run behind us, hunt us down, all we know is he preaching the same truth that he tried to destroy. And he said, and they praised God because of me. He said, because I changed my life, people got happy. People started shouting. You know, and I look at that, and you know, there are probably some people that you know, probably some men and women of God now, who when we look back at what they did before they became preachers, you will look back and say, man, how did God call them? But God can use whoever he wants, man, to get his purpose. All he needs is a willing vessel. You know, so I tell you, don't look at the vessel's past life and then allow that to hinder you from receiving a word from someone that God didn't change their lives. And there's probably some people out there preaching the gospel now, got powerful ministries that'll go on the streets that some of us won't go to. But they'll get on those street corners and preach that word, man, because they came off those streets. And they don't have no fear to go out there and share that gospel. And so some people can say, man, that's the same dude that used to be down here slanging on these corners. But now he out here preaching the gospel on the same corner that he used to slang dope on. And that's powerful testimony when God can change someone's life like that, truly change their life. And that's why all of you got to look at your life. You're changed. In some way, God has changed you, and he changed you for a reason. You just need to open up to that reason and then walk in the change that he has created in you and just be what he called you to be. And then let, you know, let the chips fall where they may. I believe that he won't set you up to fail if you do honestly what he called you to do. Amen? All right, then. Any questions? Any comments? Before we get, let you get out of here. Thank you for your comments tonight. Amen. Thank you. Okay. Do we have some announcements before we let everybody go? I know we got a baptism schedule for the 20th, so if you know anybody.